And hi, everyone. This is Kevin Andy, the Eagle Strong Voice, back once again live with Here We Stand, the voice of the Republic and the Resistance. It's September 10th. Today we're going to have a catch-up interview. Owen and I did, my comrade in Ireland, Owen Lucas. We're going to be talking about the momentous events of the coming week, but we want to put it into a bit of a context. First of all, uh, a little quote from Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the Discourse on the Origin of Inequality, when he wrote, The first man who, having fenced in a piece of land, said, This is my land, and found people naive enough to believe him, that man was the true founder of civilization. From how many crimes, wars, and murders, from how many horrors and misfortunes might not anyone have saved mankind by pulling up the stakes or filling up the ditch and crying to his fellows, Beware of listening to this impostor. You are undone if you once forget that the fruits of the earth belong to us all, and the earth itself belongs to no one. Well, 50 years ago, tomorrow, and this really set the pattern for my life, there was a horrible event that happened in Chile against people who were trying to put that ancient vision of a world held in common for everyone. I was a boy of 17 when the slaughter began on September 11th, 1973, People just like me were being rounded up by soldiers and bayoneted or shot or tied like animals and herded into the National Stadium in Santiago, Chile. Torture experts from Brazil and Washington, D.C. were flown there to rip apart the young men and women who had dared to try to reclaim their country and its wealth for the poorest of the poor. And after the CIA-funded Chilean generals had finished overthrowing the democratically elected government of Salvador Allende, over 30,000 people had been murdered. 50 years ago tomorrow. Well, soon after the Chilean coup, I remember lying on a sidewalk in downtown Vancouver as my fellow protesters poured ox blood on, on me, and I watched as the blood flowed down Burrard Street outside the U.S. consulate, and my friends held up a banner that read, the blood of Chileans is on our hands if we do not stop their killers. Well, little did I know that the bloodbath was a lot closer to home and it stained our Canadian hands more thoroughly, because across that street from where I lay stood Christchurch Anglican Cathedral, whose clergy were torturing and killing indigenous children at that very moment in the domestic death camps people still falsely call Indian residential schools. And 25 years later, in that same spot, I would help occupy that church with survivors of the Canadian genocide bloodbath and witness again to the slaughter of the innocent. For whether it's half century ago or now, their blood is still in our hands if we don't stop their killers. And that's a simple message that echoes down to us over these past 50 years, and it's carried by voices of the dead who struggle to speak and act through us. It's a voice we're going to carry into the Vancouver City Council meeting this week when we demand that that city government obeys international law and cancels all tax, tax exemptions and licensing for the genocidal Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches that killed over 60,000 children. It's a voice that will resound in those churches this week when we start reclaiming their buildings as reparations for a century of their genocide. And it's a voice that will name the names of the men who murdered our friends Harriet Nahani, William Coombs, and Johnny Bingo Dawson when we publicly indict the guilty and put them on trial at our next West Coast Common Law Court of Justice that's going to convene next Friday, September 15th in Vancouver. Well, two of those voices strongly echo in me today, the voices of a man called Peter Sanchez, and my friend Harriet Nahane. They're separated by decades, but their message is the same. Peter was a Chilean metal worker. I met him after he came to Vancouver. He had survived 
electric shock torture, and he'd seen his wife gang raped and murdered right in front of him by Chilean soldiers. I remember at one of our protests outside the U.S. consulate, Peter said these words to the crowd, don't ever think you can get justice with words because the rich and their paid stooges will ignore democracy and kill every one of us rather than give up a penny of their wealth. If you only make a revolution halfway, you're just digging your own graves. We Chileans have had to pay for not knowing that, and we paid with our blood. Don't repeat our mistake. Now, Harriet Nahani, who, as you know, was tortured at a young age by priests and buried other children in those death camps, she said something after we had seized the pulpit of Holy Rosary Catholic Church in early in 2007. She said, I tried asking for justice from the church my whole life, but they ignored me. But now, after 60 years, they're listening because I'm doing more than asking. I'm standing here threatening their money. Talking doesn't do shit. You've got to hit them where they hurt if you want change. That's why we're taking back these churches and ordering them off our land. Harriet was the first eyewitness to a residential school killing ever to go public, and she was the first Native elder to evict those churches from her territory on Vancouver Island. And she followed up her eviction with action, and she demonstrated with me and others every time we seized a church. But of course, those actions is one of the reasons she was murdered in a Vancouver prison early in 2007, because she did more than talk. But we didn't let her death be in vain. We picked up on her action in 2008 when Squamish elder Capilano evicted the genocidal churches from Vancouver and authorized me with her legal right of entry into them to enforce his order. And that's why when we started doing those occupations across Vancouver that spring, not only did the police stand back and not stop us, but the Canadian government quickly responded by publicly admitting the genocide within a month after those occupations began. In other words, folks, direct action always gets results. But that action has to be informed and aimed strategically at where our enemy is weak. That's one of the reasons that we won those in that period, because we knew our enemy and we struck at its Sunday church services at what it loved the most, its money and its public image. We didn't merely protest and ask for something. Protest is a dead end by itself. We created justice on our terms by invading the, their territory and capturing what Sun Tzu calls the chi, or vital energy, of our enemy. We proved in practice that such methods work, but they only work if they're used by people who feel an unquenchable outrage at the mass murder of children, people who have the will to fight and never give up stopping such crimes. To feel that outrage commits you to a higher purpose that's greater than your own life. And from that unwavering commitment, comes all the courage and tenacity you'll ever need to fight the biggest Goliath. That's what's kept me going over 50 years against impossible odds. I put my own interests on hold and done what's needed to struggle and overcome a monstrous child-killing system. And even 10 such devoted people who never give up can move mountains, and we proved that in practice over the last 30-plus years. Well, these days we have great need of such people because the genocide we exposed and confronted is now reaching out to engulf our world and every one of us, especially here on Canada's West Coast, which is the front line of the Vatican-funded Chinese takeover of North America and the entire Pacific Ring. Everything we do to evict the Catholic Church, especially that church, uh, from our communities will stem that takeover. International law and indigenous proclamations arm us to do so lawfully, and we'll talk about that today. Self-admitted and proven genocidal organizations like these churches have lost their right to operate, and their money and property can and must be seized by the public. Each one of you is empowered and required by the law to do so. 
That's why we're inviting the public, and especially the homeless, into those churches when we seize them. We'll be starting to do so this week and in the weeks to come. We'll be using those liberated spaces to hold court and prosecute the men who killed our friends, people like RCMP officer Peter Montague, United Church official Gary Patterson, Catholic Archbishop Michael Miller, and the others who arranged the murder of our three friends after we began our church occupations. And our indigenous allies and their warriors will join us in arresting these and other killers. That's how you banish killers in practice and reclaim the law and the land for yourselves. So you have an offer now. You can move from talk to action. And it's a great gift because once you do so, once you take that first step into action, you'll discover how weak the enemy actually is because they know their guilt and they live in fear constantly, which makes them very vulnerable and easy to provoke. We've got the law and the public and often the police on our side. It's simply a matter of taking action now at this critical moment. Because the world is ours, friends. Now is the chance for you to join us and reclaim that world. If you fail to do so, you'll have no one to blame but yourselves for what will befall you. Well, in closing, soon after the military coup in Chile, a slogan appeared on the walls of Santiago and in the burned-out factories that had been seized and run by the workers themselves. That slogan said this, We don't want money. We don't want power. We want a new world. Well, it's within our power to create that world, but only once we join the fight for it. I was taught that sacred lesson as a boy of 17, and it's never left me. And I hope you learn it, too, by joining us now in this great revolution and stopping the killers while you still can. Today, we're going to go into the detail of how to do that, Owen and I. Here's our interview, murderbydecree.com. Stay strong, stay clear. Thank you. Hi, Kev. How's it going? Hi, Owen. <laughs> it goes. Yeah. So, revving up. We're, we're, we're getting to the crescendo. Where are we today? Well, it's a, the weeks that's coming up, there's really important things. And I'm actually going to post a thing Monday morning because it's 9-11, September 11th. But mm-hmm. I, that date to me is never about the Twin Towers. It's about 50 years ago. Uh, September 11th, 1973 was the military coup in Chile. And when the CIA overthrew the Allende government and uh, about 30,000 people were killed in the process. And as a young boy, I was 17. I was in Vancouver meeting all these refugees and they were telling me these firsthand stories of their attempt to build, you know, an egalitarian society from the grassroots, you know, like encouraging the peasants to take the land, the workers to own the factories. It's like this revolution was bubbling up from below. And Allende was trying to do it the democratic constitutional way, thinking that, you know, that the U.S. and the big corporations are going to play by the game. And it led people down a blind alley. And they were I got that incredible education at a young age, um, you know, and and to me, that day always strikes home as that's really what launched me down this road half a century ago. So I'm kind of remembering that as we head into this week of action, which we can talk about. A correlation between. 9-11 Monday and 9-11-73. Yeah, well, I think it's no accident. It, you know, it's kind of like the blowback we always talk about with the, the genocide that hit various groups, natives and others. Now the techniques are being used on us. You know, when a, when a country's responsible for a crime, they feel the effect of it eventually. And I don't think these dates are coincidence. Um, but anyway, that's, that's um, I think, proven out all the time, you know. 
I've just changed places. I'm I'm up in in the mountains in West Cork at the moment, and uh, yeah, it's this amazing place. It is this hill farm yeah. I had. Yeah. And one of the, one of the guys here who 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 works on the farm. He's he's born and bred West Cork, which is the rebel county. If, if uh, right, right, people know about it. And you know, we we've been chatting a little bit, and we were chatting about uh, the genocide of the 1850s, 1840s. Yep. And we're chatting about the uh, War of Independence, 1920s, this kind of thing. Yeah. And that, we've talked about it too, the the, <clears throat> the belief system, the, the ideological, philosoph- philosophical idea of when the, um, the progression to a, a, a different... Um, Mindset, a, be- a belief system, a, a political uh, landscape creates that that divide. So, so once the the Irish uh, rid themselves of of the English officially, then that divide kicked in, right? That um, split between uh, the the capitalist mindset, ideological, ideological ideologically, and the um, the the new paradigm, if you like, the the potential for for what could be, or, or perhaps if you look, you know, you can go right back to the ancient times, and and you can say before that, uh, the, the the corruption of the money. Right. It it it's funny that you get that all over the world. Working with native people, you see that same class division on the ground. You know, the official chiefs are now making megabucks selling off the oil and gas to the Chinese and wiping out their own people in the process. You know, they have to get a certain quota of people cut off the reserve rolls every year. They've got to throw their own people off their land to stay in good with the government of the Chinese. And, um, you know, on the other hand, you've got the vast majority of natives on the ground living off reserve, you know, uh, oppressed, crushed population and the two groups have nothing in common. They call themselves native, but they're not. They're no more in common than anything I have more in common with me and Donald Trump. I mean, it's it's that same division in every culture. And so I always say it's not about natives, whites and that. We've got to be united at the base across all the divisions, you know, the people. And, and that's why I mentioned Chile, because that's what they were doing on the ground. I mean, some of the stories of what go, that was shared to me as a very kind of open, you know, impressionistic young boy at 17 they were saying, well, we'd go off into a, a, the peasants would get together and just take over the land of the landowner and start raising their own crops. And the soldiers would come in and try to boot them out, but they'd start talking to the soldiers. The soldiers, a lot of whom parents were peasants as well. It was like listening to Russia in 1917 all over again, like the army going over to the people. That was happening in Chile. The United States saw that and they crushed it really quick. Um, but the point is that, you know, I, I was thinking at that young age, if the U.S. is willing to reach thousands of miles and crush people trying to do that, trying to build it, you know, genuinely socialist as in egalitarian society, you know, think of what they do right here if we try to. Well, that made me even more determined to say, well, we're in the heart of the beast. I think Che Guevara said that once. He said, I envy you North Americans. You're living right in the heart of the beast where it's most vulnerable. And I always carried that around. I said, OK, I have an obligation now to carry forward this dream. That, that all these murdered Chileans were fighting and dying for. And that's kept me going for half a century. So it's it's a special day for, in that sense as well for me. And, and there's a, 
a synchronicity with with the the indigenous aspect to to Monday's yeah. trial, because because what we're we're looking at is is that um, uh, that reverence of of the the native mindset, the native philosophy, the the native way way of being, and and so you know putting these royal cops, the RCMP on on trial, you know from a from a big picture perspective puts. An, an ancient um, battle on on trial. Well, and and that's really funny that we're doing it too. It, it, along those lines, there's already a church we have pegged out um, that's more easily occupied than the other ones, and we're going to go in there and open the trial in that church. We're going to use their 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 building against themselves, and we're going to we're issuing summons against people like Peter Montague, the head of the RCMP uh, Black Ops, who ordered the killing of um, of William, you know, along with Prince Charles's uh, order, uh, Bingo Dawson, you know, and uh, and Harry Nahani, of course, who, uh, you know, here's that picture of her being arrested. And then she dies in prison a month later of, quote, lung cancer. That's right after we started all these occupations. So it was definitely striking at us. We're going to summon all these people um, and... Uh, the, the other cool thing is the indigenous elders who issued on June 12th, they issued this uh, banishment order against the Catholics, the Anglicans, the United Church, uh, saying you got to get off our land, otherwise we're going to send in our warrior societies and, and arrest you. And they're serious about this. So they're going to use all of this as a springboard to start these cases, do the reclamations. We're going to city council in Vancouver on Tuesday and saying you have to nullify tax exemptions and privileges for these churches or you're colluding in crimes of genocide, hitting them on many fronts. And we, we find when you do that, they overreact. They're like, you want to provoke them. And they're very easily provoked because they know they're guilty and there's so much evidence against them. They're just relying on people's apathy and, and indifference. But uh, we find that's changing again. And it's people are coming around, as we've talked about, right? People are, there's a new kind of wave coming of awareness and action. Wow. And and. That that wave it makes me think of the the Hawaiian situation. You know, perhaps perhaps so we we could have a chat of that about that situation at, at some point in terms of raising awareness. But but from what you've just been speaking about there, it makes me want to ask you about the enforcement aspect. So right. you know from from the uh, the illusion of the media, et cetera, et cetera, it, it seems like it's uh, you know a hopeless. Um, Contest between the might of you know the, the royal forces, the RCMP, the cops, the state, the authorities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But but you're confident. You're, you're confident that once this verdict comes into play, which I, I predict, you know, maybe you don't want to uh, jump the gun, shall we say? But when these guilty verdicts arrive, as as I hope that they will, that muscle, that that enforcement aspect, is is looking good for. for yeah. Well, don't forget the. The, the verdict is already in. Time and again, these people have been tried in our common law courts and found guilty. So it's not even so much the verdict as bringing in new evidence showing these connections, the new actors that we're going to be naming in this thing, the present actors, like their connections to the Chinese and their operation of death squads in northern British Columbia to wipe out people to get the oil and gas. I mean, that's a new element that we're bringing in. But in terms of the enforcement, you know, do you remember when I years ago and we first did the church occupations, and I showed the warrant. 
that uh, Chief Capilano had filed in the BC Supreme Court, banishing his churches from all of Vancouver, which is his traditional territory, and appointing me as the legal agent, so I can I had a legal right of entry into these churches. Well, I I showed it to this police sergeant, and I said, you know, this is filed in the BC Supreme Court. It gives us the right to go in and evict these people, and you can't intervene with that. And he looked at it and said, and this is a direct quote. Well, if this was filed in court, we're going to have to enforce it. And I said, really, will you enforce it with us? He gets on his mic and they all leave. The police leave. You see, in other words, at that point, we occupied it. And that's what got the church so angry. They lost their police protection because the law was on our side. You know, they they realized that um, the police were standing on the law like we were. And that's when they collapsed. Within a week, they were issuing apologies. The government was talking all this compensation. We levered that because of that we stood on the law. Now we've been told by police in the Vancouver police people in the police force that the same thing applies if we make arrests. They're not going to intervene. Because under citizen arrest laws, we have the right to arrest anyone who poses a danger, possible danger to anyone, including children. So we have the legal right to detain any Catholic priest to evict them, to hold them, and then present them to police to be jailed for trial. So in other words, it's the power's in our hands now. It's just a matter of exercising it. But the, the cop in people's head prevents them from doing it. And that's the, the great moment right now is that we have to break through that ignorance and fear again and show, yeah, it can be done. We've got the power and the authority to do it. Classic Sun Tzu. You know, those those tactics are being are being reversed on them. So they, they're feeling that divide and rule aspect amongst themselves. The, the right. fear factor is rising in our... Uh, adversaries, et cetera, et cetera. And, and for me, you know, we've got this personal level, uh, you know, r- regular rank and file everyday cops who are on trial for regular everyday rank and file North American native guys who've, who've been murdered. And is this, you know, the question I have is, is, is this what's going to break the dam? And, and behind the dam is your book, Murder by Decree. Behind the dam is all this evidence. You know, you could go down the COVID avenue, if you like. You can go over to Hawaii and listen to these uh, fire chiefs talking about how the whole thing is, is directed energy weapons on, you know, the, the native the sacred land of, of those islands, et cetera, et cetera. There's this huge avalanche awaiting to drop. And, and someone's going to do it, and perhaps Monday too. Well, that the people tend to look for big responses, like uh, you know, we think in very cataclysmic terms. And I guess, watch, you know, focused on the internet so much, people can't help but think in those terms. But big change starts very small. It starts what you're able to do in your community, in your neighborhood, based on the example of people who have done it and succeeded at it. And that's why that book. The, the new book, oh, Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence, uh, which is a summary of not only the murder by decree, but updated to include our whole campaign, how it was successful, how it was taken down, how it's rising again. And that's a very essential short little book. It's about, you know, 120 pages, but it's get it on Amazon. But the, the thing is about that is that it shows people that this, here's how to do it. You can do it right now. You don't have to wait for events to bring it in. It's only going to be brought in if we do it. And so we want to use this as lighting brush fires in 100 places where a lot of people are doing this. And the key target right now is the Catholic Church because they're the financial underwriters of the Vatican, of the Chinese takeover. They're underwriting that strategically. If you go after the Vatican right now in the Catholic Church, you're also knocking out China. And that's why 
you know, that all over the world we can be united against that common entity, the Church of Rome, and you know, in China, their their business partner, China. So that's why we say, you know, target that church wherever you are in whatever community you are, right? I was thinking about it just today. I've been picking blueberries all day in the sunshine, and hence my uh, my glowing face. Right. But there's this. Um, it, f- it feels to me like there's this this shell, this hollow void that's being held together by the media. That the the idea or the illusion that those powers that were the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, the tyranny, are, are crumbling from within. But but that um, that media stance facade still remains and, and it creates this idea that you know everything is is still together they're all powerful etc etc you know and you can you can use terms and phrases like the straw that breaks the camel's back or, or the um uh, the the domino that starts the rally the, the the world is is crying out the zeitgeist is is on the justice trail and something i i really believe you know you you say and, and you're a practical guy you've been in this battle for 30 years but but for me it's it's ready that you know those those brush fires are connected you know yeah. the wildfire is about to go because well, because everybody knows that the extent of the bullshit yeah. everybody knows that the media is you know lying to them all the time and everybody knows that that something's got to got to come into its place to replace the the slurry pit of corruption well the, and when you say their power is crumbling don't forget their power never existed what's crumbling is our illusion in our head we, you see what enslaved us was an idea in our head that they exist that there's such a thing as government the state uh churches corporations no those are all fictions behind which are just people and we say that we face these it's like that classic example of william coombs going into the church and saying i can see these priests are just guys you know, I'm not afraid of them anymore because we went in as a group. Boom, our energy replaced theirs. And it's not something you can do by yourself. You need that collective alternative all the time. And so um, I'd say, you know, it, people only learn that by doing it. You can't learn it in the abstract because um, you're right. Something else has to replace the system. And these money guys, you know, whatever you want to call them, the ones with their hands on the loot, with their fingers on the control buttons, um, they know that something else, they're in a revol- we're in a revolutionary period where the old system's going down, something new's coming up. They want to control that thing that's coming up. They want to create their version of it so they keep control in the new society, right? And so don't forget, we always, primary rule in organization, you're your own leaders, don't trust anyone else, keep control of your own movement, don't hand it over to anybody else, follow your own vision, create your own narrative, like Sun Tzu says, you set the train of battle, never give it up, you know, and then you'll win. But you lose when you hand it over to other people who you don't know or who follow the old agenda. So look past the illusions, right? All the time. And it requires it requires a, a role model, it requires an example, it requires something to uh, present that um, parameter with which to follow and and this is where your work over 30 years your your books your your court cases your establishment of the iclcj the itccs etc 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 is is this beacon for you know other nations other peoples the world to uh, respond to and, and and react to and uh, you know this this um this this dam is breaking this this um this court case on Monday, I think, is is another 
I, I think it's, it's got it's got more um, teeth to it. I think it's got more bite to it because it's more at a local level. You know, you, you've got the verdicts for the Pope, you've got the verdicts for the the British royals, etc., etc., etc. But it's but it's much more difficult to um, uh, implement any momentum in terms of law enforcement. But here, this one, this one has that potential. Well, because it, like I mentioned, it's it's strategically right at the heart of where the front line is in, in terms of you know the major rising power, China, funded by their friends in, in the Vatican Bank. Their two areas of expansion are the Southern Pacific towards Australia and East towards North America. British Columbia and Australia are right on the front lines of that. So that's where you fight them. And um, especially in BC, because their whole economy in China is now being fueled by liquid natural gas, 90% of which comes from British Columbia. And so that's why we chose to do the coast, West Coast Common Law Court of Justice right here, because it isn't just a court, it's a springboard to action all over. To, and, and not only to in a defensive way, but to say, okay, we are under our own sovereignty. We're within the Republic of Canada. We don't recognize Crown Authority. Now join up people. The more we swell that, uh, with with citizens, the less power they have, it's like deflating their balloon as we expand ours, right? And they know it, and they know it. And and it, I, yeah. I had a a wave of uh, intuition uh, a couple of days ago, where where I, I was looking at this this Hawaiian situation, and and I was thinking that's potentially their their location of refuge. That that it seems like they're they're clearing some space. Because an island in the middle of the Pacific is perhaps a, an ideal place for the the core of the core, if you like. You know, you listen to characters like David Icke, and they say you can you can fit the uh, the core of the tyranny onto a onto a fifty uh, two seater bus, and and it feels like to me that they're they're retreating and and they want that uh, the keep of the castle, and and I wonder if well, if the the Pacific is is that. Look at where geographically Hawaii is. It's a springboard to what the Japanese were supposedly trying in World War II, springboard to the west coast of North America. The Japanese didn't have the industrial might to do that, um, to invade North America, but China does. And nobody's mentioning China in this stuff. It's kind of like what's really weird, Owen, is you can always tell who the real strength pullers are because most people don't mention them all the time. They're kind of invisible. They're hegemonic. You never see them. Nobody's talking about the Vatican Bank or China when they're talking about these fires in Hawaii. And that's the point. It's a diversion to get people right. talking about some enemy over here. Well, meanwhile, the guys use that as a springboard. It's it's the whole West Coast is under major economic and political and eventually military assault by China. And that's why we're on the front lines here, both in Canada and in America. And um, every major port on the West Coast, from San Francisco, San Diego, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, they're all China-owned now. I've, you know, I've done the research. 90% of the container companies in Vancouver are China-owned. So, I mean, that's the thing to be looking at when you're talking about Hawaii or anything on the, on the Pacific Rim, right? And, and you have you have the the specific details, such as you know the economics of, of China and, and the Vatican Bank, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But your yeah. regular oil person, they they know that something's wrong. They they no. you know perhaps the USA for example, and, and maybe they don't know those details, but they know that the USA used to be something to be proud of. The Constitution used to be uh, implemented where it required, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and they and they know that they're they're sinking for some reason. 
and and they're they're looking for answers that they're not getting from the usual channels of bullshit information medium and and so this um this platform this this environment of uh, a, a hope of change is is heading your direction i think yeah and i i'm one of the things i'm putting out on monday is a reflection um i'm going to put up on video as well but um one of the things I do in there is I quote two people, um, a guy called Peter Sanchez, who was a Chilean refugee I met right after the coup. He came to one of our first protests. Um, I'll tell you what I did. This was hilarious. I was 17 and my parents freaked out when, well, my mom freaked out when they heard I had done this. I lay down on the sidewalk right outside the U.S. consulate and some we got some ox blood from a slaughterhouse and they poured the blood all over me. And I was the body lying on the road, and this blood was pouring down Burrard Street in the middle of rush hour traffic. And all these people are like gawking, what's going on? Is this guy being disemboweled? Like what? And there was, we hung a banner over me saying, um, uh, if you, uh, the blood of the Chilean people will ever flow if we do not stop the killers. Well, you know what was ironic about that? Right across the street was Christchurch Anglican Cathedral that 30 years later we would occupy. Right across the street is the church that, that was at that very moment trafficking and murdering indigenous children a mile away on the North Shore. And yet we're talking about Chile thousands of miles away and it's happening right in our backyard. So it shows that um, it's the same bloodbath everywhere and the same obligation we have, right? And that memory from 817 sticks on my mind because it's like, it doesn't change. I remember um, Peter Sanchez, when he said that, he was almost echoing what Harry Dahani said later in 2007. She said, we went into to the Catholic Church, Holy Rosary, and she sees the pulpit during that occupation. And she said, I tried asking for justice from the church my whole life, but they ignored me. But now after 60 years, they're listening because I'm doing more than asking. I'm standing here threatening their money. Talking doesn't do shit. You've got to hit them where they hurt if you want change. That's why we're taking back these churches and ordering them off our land. And you see, it's the same voice. Uh, because Peter was saying to us, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't just, uh, the rich and their paid stools will ignore democracy and kill every one of us rather than give up a penny of their wealth. You can never get justice with words. And you see, it's the same voice, right? And the same reality teaching us over and over that, Words are fine, but it's only when you're engaging and acting that you, you know the nature of your enemy. Because when you engage with these people, they don't have power. They turn and run like those priests did that day. They ran out the back door. And we have the right to arrest them and everything. So that's the thing we got to pound into people's head through involving them in the action. That's the only teacher. They'll learn from themselves. It's not a matter of me telling people anything or anyone telling anyone anything. It's a matter of them learning for yourself by going up against the system. We've got to facilitate that every way we can. And what Harry Nahani was was doing there was she, she was she was raising that uh, that fervor of of a, a battle attitude, right? And and yeah. so you know you, you've got you've got millions, if not billions, of people around the world who don't see an enemy or haven't seen an enemy and, until recently. And and so when someone like Harriet or yourself or myself or you know any of these people who who see through it have have attempted to or, or hoped that they can raise that that battle awareness in people 
they've just been easily dismissed as somebody who's who's not worth their salt in terms of uh, profile or, or reputation or you know, mental stability, et cetera, et cetera. But but that's that's all changing now. This you know, I essentially talk about Chile too because I've been teaching uh, Chilean students a lot over over the last uh, eight, eight ten months, and um, the the, Chile, the the natives of Chile held off the Spanish invaders uh, with massive bravery and, and and courage and against the odds, shall we say, for for an awful long time as 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 that wave of Western uh, tyranny was was arriving to them, and. You know, returning to that, if not defensive, then uh, aggressive um, sense of of a war is is also an area where uh, you know there is some consternation, some debate, some some question, because people feel, and I think this is personally, I think this is a, this is a Christian installation in in terms of military propaganda to say that we must be holy, we must be good, we must be nice, we must be gentle. We must- <laughs> Well, this it's like I think. it's like the quote the, that reminds me of the quote from Napoleon. He said, "Christianity is what stops the poor from killing the rich, but it doesn't stop the rich from killing the poor." That should right. tell you something, right there, right? Uh, but you mentioned the Mapuche Indians of Chile; they're still at it, man. You Do you remember um, Jorge Bergoglio, aka Pope Francis, went to Chile? He was holed up in the Papal Nuncio Palace in San Diego. He couldn't get out because there's hundreds of Mapuche out there besieging him. They had burned down 11 Catholic churches in their territory because they were they the church was grabbing their children. They were they had they were grabbing their land. They had the title the the land deeds in the church, so they burned down the church to make sure their kids and their land wasn't weren't stolen. And they had Bergoglio besieged. He had to leave Chile early. Well same number of churches were burned in Canada over the last couple of years by the same folks. And it's that wave building all over the world. Direct action always is what counts. And, um, you know, the way you do that, you don't even, I've, I've tried this, you know, it, it, you try to hold a workshop or a seminar in what it's like, and it's just words. People have to experience for themselves. They got to go in and see what it's like. Look in the face of these people, look at their reactions, take the abuse, show how these people, you know, stand back when you push. Because they know they're guilty, they know the laws on our side, um, and and so we have to lead people into battle, and the battle is your only teacher, really. I'm so delighted you remembered the name of the the natives of Chile, the Mapuche. That's exactly the ones that the guys were telling me about in class. So, Kev, we've we've got it. We've got probably uh, 15, 20 minutes to go, and we spoke about Harriet at length uh, last time yeah. we chatted. Can can we go to Johnny Bingo Dawson and? Um, Oh man, William Coombs before before we close. Okay, let's do Bingo first because a lot of people know about William because of the whole incident with yeah, Liz Britt grabbing uh, the kids. But Bingo was uh, one of the one of the first guys I met down on Hastings Street. He had uh, he was a survivor of the Alert Bay death camp run by the Anglicans, and uh, he broke out when he was twelve. Can I just clarify? Brother. When when you say death camp, we're talking about a residential school. They call them residential schools, but the death rate was higher than that of Auschwitz on average. So if you call Auschwitz a death camp, why wouldn't you call one of these? And Absolutely. so we renamed it. They weren't schools. They were given no education. Uh, so it's a, a camouflage title they use all the time to minimize the crime, right? Um, anyway, he was in one of those places in Alert Bay, northern tip of Vancouver Island. He broke out, and it's a good thing he did because every brother and every cousin of his in there never came out. They all died. 
he lived on the corner of Main and Hastings Street, and he knew everybody down there. So he introduced me to a lot of people over the years. And he was at the center of all our occupations. And I remember this beautiful incident with Bingo. He, uh, we went to St. James Anglican once, and he and three guys had the banner, and they went into the church. And then the priest locked the door behind them. And all of us started yelling, saying, let us in. What are you doing to our brothers? Let us in. They were riding outside the church. Bingo walks to the front, and he's standing there with the banner during the Anglican Mass. And they're all saying, you know, the priest says, oh, Lord, blah, 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 blah. And they all chant, hear our prayer. So Bingo yells out over all of them, no, no, you hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. What happened to those children? Return the bodies of those children you killed. Return the bodies of my brothers who you killed in Alert Bay. They're all gobsmacked. The doors open and they start fleeing out of the church, literally. They we're standing there and all these, these church people start running out of their own church. And uh, Bingo comes out kind of victory waving yeah we did it you know the power he felt at that moment right and put these priests and everybody on the run and uh, he said what william said he said i felt healed for the first time in my life you know because we did this i we show that we're stronger than them well across the street there were these vancouver cups cops watching and um very soon after that bingo gets caught in an alley by three cops and gets beaten so badly he's dead the next day official cause of death, alcohol poisoning. And yet the accompanying toxicology report said there was no alcohol or drugs in the system. So how could he die of alcohol poisoning? It was, they don't worry about an Indian. They can contradict themselves in documents. They don't care. But uh, Ricky Lavalley, who was with us on the protest, he said, I saw Johnny Bingo get worked over in the police. They busted up, uh, worked over by the police in the alley. They busted up his, his head. His face, he was bleeding. He'd die the next day of that beating. Ricky talks about it. Then Ricky is found dead in Calgary, uh, blows to the head and chest. So, I mean, they're just eliminating all the time, all the, all the witnesses. But um, the guy who coordinated all that was this RCMP inspector, Peter Montague, the same guy who went after William. And, um, you know, that's and this, yet this, another example of what happens, right? And this is exactly the same alleyway that, that you had a, a pasting. They, they beat you up a couple of weeks ago. That, yeah, that's happened a few weeks ago, right near the Empress Hotel, right in the alley off Manning Hastings. It's a favorite spot because there are no cameras in there. It's the favorite spot. All right, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and so they, they pounded Johnny to death, and then they put on the report that it was uh, alcoholism or, or uh, substance well, abuse. Thing. We, but nobody, we, we, they, we they, published. They, they can trust in the, in the fact that the general population of, of Canada did, didn't give a shit enough to make the comparison that it was it was total contradiction of terms that obviously drinking alcohol doesn't give you broken bones and bruises and you know. Well, they made no mention. They made no mention of an attack or broken bones. They totally whitewashed it, but. Um, and alcohol withdrawal when there's no alcohol in your system. How does that work, right? But it isn't just that people are indifferent, though, Owen. It's that under the law, Bingo wasn't a citizen of Canada. He was an off-reserve native who still had membership on the reservation. He was a ward of the crown. So like a child under the law, there's no legal consequence when you kill him, right? So they, they, they kind of laugh at you when, you when they issue these death certificates. They say, look what we can do. You know, we've talked about that before, that psychological warfare tactic. Look, we can even contradict ourselves in print and nobody objects except Kevin Annett, who nobody listens to. I mean, that kind of attitude is what they have, but it works against them because they expose themselves time and again.
And it feels like to me that there's 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 an irony coming. There's a perhaps a better way to say this is there's a poetry coming. There's this this potential that the the Western people, the the the, the capitalists, the, those in the in the in the cult of of you know the tyranny, uh, are going to have to join with the native guys, the Mapuches, the uh, Ahusats, the, uh, the the native people all over this planet who have been in this battle, in this fight, you know, in silence, in secret, like we're talking about here, for so long. But after all these uh, atrocities that, you know, the the West is waking up to, if you want to label it like the West, they're going to have to join with the native people, you know, whereas they've they felt themselves or we've felt ourselves to be uh civilized and superior etc and, and those guys are the savages there's there's something turning around here where we're going to have to get behind those guys to turn this all around and this well is... don't forget when you say natives it depends who you're talking about because in a real sense there are no indigenous people left um okay. but but there's aboriginals not original um of the original group. And most of the native people I know don't know anything about their language or traditions. They're living off their land. You know, they're prey to all of this shit that quote white people are. And, uh, but the point is there's, there's a seed like within you and me and all of us, there's that cellular memory of what it means to be free on the land and self-governing. And we're trying to revive that. So the, the old labels don't mean anything. It's like the old political labels of left and right. Those one dimensional terms, they don't mean anything, right? But those guys who've been on the reservation for longest are, yeah. are the most battle-hardened and the most inspirational in terms of, of taking this on and taking this forward. So your, your Johnny Bingo Dawson's and your William Coombs's and your Harriet Nahani's, they're the ones that are, are going to eventually arrive at a place of, of reverence because they, they, were, they were the first to uh, they, right. they, they well, had the tip of the spears, right? They were, and they died quick, and they always do die quick, and that's why their courage was extraordinary because they knew they were signing a death sentence. Like when I go to an action, I know the odds of someone killing me are pretty slim. Okay. Cause I've got too much exposure. I'm from the mainstream culture, all that. They knew every time they went out to a protest, it could be their last day. They knew they could die as they, they all did. Almost all of the people I worked with who were the tip of the spear are all dead now. So they knew that and yet they sacrificed themselves anyway. Um, and that's because they held on to that spirit that a lot of us have lost, that your own life doesn't matter. It's living for your people. It's living for the future. How are you going to die since we're all going to die? How are you going to die? You know, cringing or standing up? And that's the choice you all have to make, right? I, I, I want to use the word fresh. Yeah. They, they, they understood what it was to be a... a with the freshness of humanity, whereas whereas our cultures, you know, Wales, you go back in history to England, you go back in history to Normandy and northern France to Italy and Greece and back to Phoenicians, and you can follow it all back. The stagnation of humanity that's happened over this gradual period of of uh, history. Yeah. Your you, you Johnny Bingo Dawson's, your you William Coombs's, your Harry Nahani's, they they understood that freshness of humanity that was being attacked and assaulted in these death camp residential places and and they they knew it was worth it right they 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 understood the the sacredness of of what they were right when when, when i got adopted in the anishinaabek or wh- we call them the ojibwe and they were the central canadian Kanatan tribes 
Oji Cree and, and Anishinaabek, when they adopted me into the Crane Clan in 2007 and gave the, me the name Eagle Strong Voice, uh, they said Anishinaabek simply means a true human being. And an Anishinaabek could be you, it could be me. They don't go by culture, ethnic, or color, or any of that, these false labels. They just go by the substance of a man or woman. And we're all Anishinaabek when we've recovered our identity, when Mother Earth and one another. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that Kanata came about, the Republic of Kanata. We're trying to unite people on that new basis to get out of the old, not just physically and legally get out, but in here, in our heart and mind, detach. Because we're going down the route of oblivion, of omnicide, and we can see that now. But you got to recover it first in yourself and then join up with others like that. And that's it, this is really what's a spiritual war in many ways, what we're yeah. doing. And there's an education aspect too. You know, we, we've got to learn that we can't own the land. The land owns us, right? We've got to learn right. these ancient uh, right. ways, these ancient laws, L-O-R-E. And, and you know, what, what, what Johnny... Finger Dawson lost in 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 those uh, institutionalized, sterilized death camps. He, he was he was fully aware of, I'd imagine. You know, not not least his brothers, not least his family. Well, that's why he lived on the street, uh, because people who are aware have to camouflage. When you're native, a lot of people living on the street are deliberately look um, incapacitated as part of the camouflage. Because and, and I don't just mean from the cops or people hunting them because they're witnesses to something. I mean, you know, what some people, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's a force that seeks outer destruction. And it particularly targets those who can see. Like William Coombs and Harriet were both spirit dancers. They knew the sacred knowledge. And they recognized that in me too. And I had a different language for it, but they we were spiritual brothers, sisters, right? add to each other and um so those are the people they take out first because they know that a lot of other people go around with a blindfold on they can't really see what they're fighting they're kind of flailing away but they knew precisely what we're up against and um i remember when i was in mexico living among the mayan people for the first time they this mayan elder said to me through an interpreter um we are fighting zibalba and Zabalba, in their language, says the eater of souls. He goes through the world looking for human souls to eat. And only the true human being can resist that and hold on to their soul. And that's why in the refugee camp, the one thing they did is they had the little school where they taught that to their children. Ahead of food, ahead of clothing, the most important thing is to pass on the spirit and soul of a people. And we've lost that. And I think this is an attempt to recover it because it can't be taken from you. You know, you know. When you're out, like where you are right now, Owen, you know, among the, my ancestors there, I'm standing there in Ireland. And I had my first real vision there on the west coast of Clare. And, you know, they were all there, all my ancestors. And your substance doesn't die. It's all part of that oneness. And when you bring that into the political world and, and, and the so-called real social world, it's revolutionary. It's explosive. And uh, that's what the result. Everything we're doing is a reflection of that. So I've got to remind people of that all the time. It isn't just a fight for, you know, common law or the Republic or whatever. That's all a manifestation of this deeper thing, this, you know, freeing us spiritually from this deathly machine that's killing our soul as a people, right? It's fascinating, the correlations. You know, you're talking about, um, 
eat, eating the, the the spirit dances and and and, uh, and these uh, I don't want to call them positions these um, roles that 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 the, the ancient tribal ways would have it's exactly the same over here you know yeah it, this 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 um, role that the ancient Welsh uh, tribal people would have where they would, you know, the, the modern translation has been sin eater, but it's exactly the same as what you're saying. And, and that after uh, somebody died, um, everyone would, would put food in, into a, a wooden bowl, particularly specially crafted. And then the, the, the uh, I can't think of the Welsh name for it. Oh, Buta Pechod. Buta Pechod uh, character would, um, would eat the the food that was placed in this wooden bowl and and that would uh transmute and process anything that needed to leave the soul of the leaving and then the 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 bowl would be would be placed on the fire to to right. release everything goes back to to elemental um like the, the uh what they call the wake in ireland or coinive in gaelic meant the beautiful song you recite for three days to allow the soul of the person to to move on, they recount the story of the soul of, the, of this life to allow it to go and to let go of all of the, the shit. You know, we have all, <laughs> we have all these borders and frontiers and boundaries these days, and I'm, I'm sure the idea is, you know, from a deep uh, template level, it yeah. is, is to cut us off from this holistic oneness that you know the the people had before. Uh, this cancer, this tumor arrived on the planet, right? Yeah, and don't forget, it's we're all part of that tumor. Like, we all created it, right. and we all have to, when you personally take responsibility for that, then you can detach. As long as you see yourself as a victim being acted on by this nebulous enemy, then you're caught, caught in it. You can't escape. You're running like a rat in a maze, chasing your tail. But when you say, yeah, this has been me, and now I'm stepping out of it, that it, that's a spiritual act. I'm responsible now. I'm leaving it. I'm renouncing it, like in an exorcism. You know, you—that uh, was the, in the early, not Christian, but the early Jesus movement. When you became a a member of their circle, they had these big pools, baptismal pools, and you walked under, and then out again. And th that was a, to reflect the fact that you were in a state of possession when you were born. When you're living in this world, you're in a state of possession. When you open yourself to what they call the grace of God or whatever you want to call it, you're something else you're part of something else now you're not part of that and you every day have to renounce the old world and not be part of it otherwise you'll slip back so that you, you know baptism exorcism whatever you want to call it that is the same process all over the world that people are, are being given that choice now to do that right i, I agree with you 100 percent and and rather than ruining and lamenting about you know in the victimhood of, of what's gone bad and what's gone wrong it's yeah. it's focus of of uh creativity and what we're, we're building right and the irony or the, the, the parody if you like is that this this new uh potential has so many roots in in the deep past right yeah this is good so i'll um uh, urge everyone to follow everything we're doing this week, uh, murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates. We'll have the, all the news from the court, the church actions. Don't forget, it's not just one week. We're just kicking it off this week. We're going to be doing this. It's an opening for a whole new campaign that's really starting all over the world. And um, write to us, angelfire101 
at protonmail.com. Um, and we're going to broadcast this on Sunday as a, as a kicker to the whole week. Yeah, really exciting. And Kevin, just uh, prompted me a, a question I've, I've been really keen to yeah. ask you. And ha- have you had many um, emails? Have you had much response from your request for uh, information for? Um, yeah, well, we get them all the time. But what we get, the best responses is when people then meet, when they say, okay, I want to meet directly and get involved. And that's increasing. So, uh, but again, the best recruitment we find is on the street. I would say most of the people who are going to be doing this are going to be native folks, homeless people who, you know, one guy said the other day, oh, where the hell have you been? Thank God, let's get at this, right? I mean, they're ready to go, a lot of them. Specifically, I was, I was wondering if uh, people are looking to take on the idea of being protected by divulging information, giving you evidence. Oh, of... I see what you mean. I'm sorry. You mean right. witnesses coming forward. That's that's where I was. Sorry, uh, I thought you meant people getting no. involved in the campaign. Um, yes, there are insiders that have come forward, like right. the guy who mentioned that Charles Mountbatten Windsor gave the kill yep. order against William, and his testimony and others corroborating that are going to be part of this. So it'll all be coming out. And and just to close, because I appreciate the the time's pressing on. Uh, how, how long do you uh, predict that, that this trial will will last for? It's open ended, so. Uh, you know, don't forget, like the one in Europe originally, it went on for five months because there was new evidence coming out all the time. People had to go follow up on leads. So it's open-ended. Uh, and don't forget, the verdict is already in on a lot of this. We're adding new information into the fire and using that as a springboard to these other actions. So, you know, that's the purpose of the whole thing, really. Open and shut case, as they say. Yep. Smash and chewy. Should we call it quits there, Kevin? Yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks yeah, so brilliant. much. Thanks, Liz. We'll talk soon. That's a love from Ireland. Take care. Scott. Yeah. Seriously.